Hello, welcome to the Fat Lips, a podcast for fat people about fat people. I'm your fat host, Ash. And if you listened to our last episode about Queen Anne, you probably heard me say that I'm going to work on some episodes about fat people throughout history. So that's what we're doing today. And one of the first people I thought of for this project was Cass Elliot or Mama Cass. So that's the person we're going to talk about today. Um, this is going to be a pretty involved episode though. So before we start, let's talk about Big Fig and get that out of the way. Um, so it's the holidays and in my opinion, there is no better gift to give yourself than a Big Fig. Big Fig is the first mattress system made specifically for fat people that features hybrid technology that's both high density foam and pocketed coils for the best combination of comfort and support. And if I were you, I'd for sure get the Big Fig frame too. It's made with recycled railroad steel, and it is by far the sturdiest bed frame I have ever had. Go to bigfigmattress.com and use the code FATLIP at checkout for $100 off of your purchase and to let them know that I sent you. Give yourself the gift of a great night's sleep this holiday season with Big Fig. Okay, so let's talk about Mama Cass. Um, When I was a kid, my mom had one of those old console record players that looked like a piece of furniture. You know, the one that's like the late 70s wood veneer one where you open the whole top and to get to the turntable and the speakers are all built in. That's what she's that's what she had. And she only had a handful of random records um, that she probably picked up at some yard sale or another. Uh, But I loved that turntable and I loved those records. And there were two records in particular that I played as often as possible. First, the soundtrack from Xanadu. (laughs) And the second was the Mamas and the Papas, if you can believe your eyes and ears. And I distinctly remember noticing that on that album cover for the Mamas and the Papas album, that one of the Mamas was fat. And I always wondered, like, I must have been seven or eight but I always wondered if people thought I looked like her because like people always seem to think I looked like Ricky Lake or other you know chubby people of the time and I recognized even then that I didn't look like any of those people at all but it was just because I was fat and therefore clearly I possess no other distinguishing physical characteristics uh but I was fascinated by Mama Cass and I especially wondered if being called Big Mama or Mama Cass had like been a choice or a taunt, you know, because as a chubby kid, I just didn't see Big Mama as being considered complimentary. So I always wondered if that was something that she chose or if that was something that was just assigned to her because she was fat. Uh, Even if you didn't have a console record player and a lot of free time as a child, though, If you're a fat person now, you likely know who Mama Cass is. She is like one of our most famous fat people. And the one thing that most people think they know about her is that she died young when she choked on a ham sandwich. And this is actually not true. And the origin of this urban legend is, in fact, 
a really disgusting story, but we'll get to that a little later. Uh, in an interview just before her death, Mama Cass said that, I'm going to call her Cass. In her later life, she preferred not to be called Mama Cass. So I'm just going to call her Cass. Um, but Cass said that she had always felt different. She said, quote, I've been fat since I was seven. Being fat sets you apart. But luckily, I was bright with it. And she was also fiercely independent. In the same interview, she said, I value my freedom to live and love as I want more than anything else in the world. Her independence in her early life sent her to college in the early 60s, which was a time when that wasn't terribly common for women. And she got her start in theater there at American University in D.C. And she didn't begin singing then until after college um, in the D.C. area. The origin of the band that made her famous, though, she had been in various other bands that, you know, never really hit it big. But the origin of the band that made her famous, though, the Mamas and the Papas, is pretty telling of the fat phobia of the time. So this story is a little wild. So in an interview after the breakup of the Mamas and the Papas, John Phillips, who was considered like the founding, the founder of the band, um, he was one of the Papas. Uh, he said this about how Cass came to be in the band. He said... She and Denny were friends. Well, she was madly in love with Danny, Denny, and she started following us around everywhere we went. It got to be a, it got to be a sadomasochistic game. Cass would get a job as a waitress in the nightclub because she would we wouldn't let her sing with us. She'd rehearse with us, and then we'd say, "Okay, Cass, okay, Cass, serve some fucking drinks. We're going on stage." Finally, we let her join the group, which kind of sounds like a little abusive. Like they would let her sing with them, but not on stage. And I mean, I think you can see where this is headed. Uh, that wasn't the whole story though. Uh, there was this strange rumor that Cass and other band members circulated about why it took so long before she was allowed to join the band. Uh, the story was that John Phillips initially didn't think Cass's vocal range was wide enough to sing with them. And then there's this weird story that Cass was hit in the head with a copper pipe in a construction accident, and that improved her range by three notes. And actually, Cass confirmed this rumor in a 1968 interview with Rolling Stone when she said, quote, it's true, I did get hit on the head with a pipe that fell down, and my range was increased by three notes. They were tearing this club apart in the islands, revamping it, putting in a dance floor. Workmen dropped a thin metal plumbing pipe, and it hit me on the head and knocked me to the ground. I had a concussion and went to the hospital. I had a bad headache for about two weeks, and all of a sudden I was singing higher. It's true, honest to God. However, while it is true that she did get hit in the head by this, uh, this piece of pipe and that she was sent to the hospital, it doesn't seem to be true that it changed her vocal range. And vocal experts have agreed that that's probably not possible. And in fact, in her earlier work, she was still singing with the same range that she used when she sang with the Mamas and the Papas. So it doesn't seem to be true that her vocal range changed at all when she was hitting this head with this pipe. And um, in the biography of Cass Elliott, it's called Dream a Little Dream of Me by Edie Feigl. She wrote it in 2005. The author had this to say. She said... Cass had, in fact, been angling to be let into the group since she had arrived. 
but it was John's group, and as far as he was concerned, Cass definitely didn't fit the image he wanted. In the years to come, both Cass and John would go to extraordinary, extraordinary lengths to rewrite this episode in the group's history. John would produce various excuses, maintaining Cass's vocal range didn't fit the group's material. It was too low, he claimed, as well as admitting that he didn't think her look was quite right. Mitch, Denny, and I were three string beans, and she was huge. The sound was off, and the look didn't fit either, so I kept her out, he said. Denny, meanwhile, remembers there being no doubt as to why he wouldn't let her in. She was too fat. His ideal woman he had, Michelle. Michelle Phillips' sister, Russell Gilliam, meanwhile, remembers John being straightforward with Cass and telling her the truth straight out. John wanted to have a Peter, Paul, and Mary-style rock group, and he had no compunction of saying, sorry, Cass, but you're too fat, right to her face. But not in a mean way. He'd just say, Cass, I'm sorry, you're too fat. Once the Mo Mamas and the Papas became famous, it is easy to see why Cass would have been as keen as John to gloss over some of these original facts. Rather than have to admit that her size had prevented John from letting her in the group, John's original yarn about Cass, having, Cass not having the right vocal range was reinstated when journalists naturally wanted to know how she had miraculously gained the necessary notes. The well-worn but frankly ludicrous pipe incident story came to the rescue and was vigorously defended. How many people ever believed this is questionable, and others who were there at the time dismissed the tale as the lie it clearly was. All of that was such baloney, says Russell. Cass was following them around like a little puppy. Just everywhere they went, Cass popped up asking to sing with a group, and John wouldn't let her. Nevertheless, once they were famous, everyone in the band seemed happy to go along with this revisionist version of events, without so much as a glance back to the slightly more awkward truth. I find it more than a little heartbreaking that Cass felt that she had to save face in this way and to rewrite what was probably a very painful period. Like she was singing with this band and knowing that she was good enough, but she wasn't allowed to be on stage with them because of her size. And the sister's account that John Phillips told Cass that she was too fat, but quote, not in a mean way. Ugh. I hate that so much. We all know that that was definitely in a mean way. What we know about Cass is that she was, though, incredibly troubled by her weight throughout her life. Uh, her peers and fellow musicians found her incredibly charismatic, and she threw amazing parties in her home in Laurel Canyon. If you've seen the documentary on, uh, on Netflix called Echo in the Canyon, they talk about what a great hostess she was. Um, and that was like the center of 60s folk rock. Uh, but Cass was also on a, an incredibly restrictive diet, one res incredibly restrictive diet after another, really. And at some points, she was even regularly using drugs, including heroin, as partially as a weight loss tool. Um, so basically, she was doing drugs instead of eating most of the time. In late 1968, when Cass was set to headline a show in Las Vegas, um, this was by the time the Mamas and the Papas had effectively broken up. So she was beginning her solo career. So she spent six months leading up to this Las Vegas show on a crash diet, and she managed to lose over 100 pounds, which was a third of her weight. Um, but she was left very, very ill from the attempt. attempt. Um, in fact, in a 1968 issue of Good Housekeeping, Cass wrote an article called What a Way to Lose 110 Pounds. So this is in her own words. She said, quote, 
I've invented a fabulous new diet. It costs only $2,000 for each pound you lose. It also weakens your natural resistance to disease. I can't guarantee it, but the Mama Cass diet can give you acute tonsillitis, hemorrhaging vocal cords, mononucleosis, and a dangerous case of hepatitis. At least that's what it did for me. I lost my health and more than a quarter million dollars in earnings as a singer. I lost weight all right, 110 pounds, from a high of 285 pounds on my five foot five and a half frame. I slimmed down to 175, but I wouldn't recommend my diet to anyone, mainly because I didn't see a doctor. Why? Well, I knew that, I was, that what I was doing was wrong. I knew no doctor would permit anyone to go on a crash diet like mine. But I was in a hurry to weigh 110 pounds, and I still am. My diet formula was very simple, starvation. For five months, I fasted from Monday to Thursday, eating nothing and drinking only water, plus an occasional glass of orange juice. On Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, I limited myself to one evening meal of steak and a green vegetable, usually broccoli or squash. Sometimes I'd also allow myself a half cup of cottage cheese in the morning, and that was it. From May through October of 1967, I starved off 70 pounds. I tried the same diet again for six weeks in early 1968 and lost another 40 pounds. It's one way to lose 110 pounds in less than a year, but it's also a good way to put yourself in the hospital, which is what happened to me. I don't care what anyone says. It's no fun to be heavy. I'm naturally a happy person, but there were times when I was so depressed about my weight that I'd stay at home so people wouldn't see me. Now, I'm not a clinician, but this is definitely disordered eating. And while Cass doesn't say explicitly, it sounds like in that, in the early, in that first paragraph, she's alluding to her drug use as well here. Um, and it also indicates that she might have been purging based on the throat issues and a vocal cord hemorrhaging. This was an incredibly dangerous attempt at extreme weight loss. And Cass did regain the weight. Um, as we know now, nearly everyone who diets does. And it's so heartbreaking that while she clearly acknowledges that this diet had seriously damaged her health, she still makes it a point to say that she is still desperate to weigh 110 pounds, which is so sad, so telling. Um, her efforts to be thin for that Las Vegas show, though, also ended up seriously hindering her performance. She was confined to her bed for a full three weeks before what was set to be the first Las Vegas performance. And she, as a result, was unable to rehearse with her band before the show. In the Edie Feigl biography, the author wrote that Cass developed a high fever backstage immediately before the performance, and friends urged her manager to cancel the show. But Cass felt that it was too important and insisted on performing. Sick and having barely rehearsed, she began to fall apart during the course of her first performance. Her voice was weak and barely audible, and the large crowd was unsympathetic. At the end of the show, Elliot returned to the stage to apologize to the audience, saying, this is the first night and it will get better. She then, say, she then sang Dream a Little Dream of Me and left the stage as the audience applauded half-heartedly. She returned later that night to perform the second show, but her voice was worse and many of the audience noisily walked out. The show closed after... Only one night, and Cass flew back to Los Angeles, allegedly for a tonsillectomy. Elliot was later uh, said to have admitted to her boyfriend that she had shot heroin immediately before going on stage that first performance. And her failure in Las Vegas ended up sending her into a deep depression. David Crosby of The Birds and Crosby, Sills, and Nash wrote the following about his heroin use with Cass. 
uh, in a memoir. He said, it was always the bad drug, always the worst. It got a little more open around the time that Cass and I were doing it, but it wasn't something you told people about. It wasn't anything you bragged about, you know. Me and Cass Elliot were closet junk takers and used to get loaded with each other a lot. We loved London because there was pharmaceutical heroin available in drugstores. Government dope and these injectable tablets that you crushed and dissolved in order to shoot them. Me and Cass used to just mash them up and snort the powder. Cass took lots of pills, usually from the opiate family, Dilaudid, Demerol, Percodan, downers of all sorts, and we did a lot of coke together. Much of Cass's lifetime of pain seems to have centered on her body and others' response to it and medicating herself as a result. Uh, she had more to say throughout the years about her fatness. About her crash diet, she said, quote, Members of the Mamas and the Papas noticed I was on a starvation diet, but they never said anything. My best friends Gary and Annette Burden encouraged me to stay with my diet. So did my husband before we broke up. Another man came into my life after my husband and I separated, and he was the first person who taught me that if you really love a man and want to give him the best, you make yourself as presentable as possible. I hate that she thought that that abusive, controlling bullshit was true. But it's clear that she was willing to try anything to be thin. She also said this, I even experimented with chewing food and spitting it out, but that didn't work. I guess I have taste buds all the way down to my stomach. It's super common in diet culture for fat people to believe that their digestive system is just deficient in some way, that uh, thin people's is not, or that they can't stick to a diet because they just love food too much. Um, Cass Elliott wasn't failing at the chew your food and spit it out diet. Her body was just constantly in starvation mode, was just trying to keep her alive, you know. Um, she said, what else did she say? Of her daughter, she had this to say. I didn't want Owen growing up to hear other children taunt her for having a fat mother. And more, she said, somebody once said, I had done for the young fat girl what Barbara Streisand had done for the ugly girl. During her brief thinner period, she said, I take out pictures of myself at 285 pounds and realize I was grotesque. What is very clear here is that Cass Elliott was deeply troubled about her body and how can we blame her? She had been told throughout her life and certainly throughout her career that she was too fat to be seen. It's no wonder that she was willing to do anything to achieve thinness, and it's no wonder that the attempt ultimately cost her her life. In April of 1974, she was scheduled to appear, to appear on Johnny Carson, but she collapsed in the studio and was rushed to the hospital. She was treated and released, and she dismissed the incident in the press as simply exhaustion. Then in July of that year, Cass Elliott performed two weeks of solo shows in London at the Palladium. And on July 28th, she made a phone call to her former Mamas and the Papas bandmate Michelle Williams, telling her how well the show was going. And then she attended a party at Mick Jagger's home. Um, she left alone and returned to the London flat at which she was staying. And that night at age 32, she died. Now, here's where that ugly fat lady chokes on a ham sandwich and dies urban legend comes in. The first physician to examine Cass after her death, a doctor, Anthony Greenberg, told the press that Cass's death appeared to have been a simple case of asphyxia. He said, quote, from what I saw when I got to the flat, she appeared to have been eating a ham sandwich and drinking Coca-Cola while lying down, a very dangerous thing to do. 
This would be especially dangerous dangerous for someone like Cass, who is overweight and who might be prone to having a heart attack. She seemed to have choked on a ham sandwich. And that's what this guy told the media. The truth, though, as noted by a police investigator who examined the scene, was that there was a ham sandwich by Cass's bed, but that it had not been touched. Not a bite out of it. And in fact, the medical examiner found that she probably hadn't eaten at all in at least several hours. Cass's actual official cause of death was declared fatty myocardial degeneration due to obesity. It's important to realize here, though, that during this time, any fat person who died of a heart attack was believed to have succumbed to heart disease because of their weight. And, I mean, that still happens now. What we know today, though, is that while obesity and heart disease are correlated, there isn't sufficient evidence that proves obesity directly causes heart disease. We don't know exactly why some fat people develop heart disease and others do not, and some thin people develop heart disease and others don't, you know? The heart attack caused by fatness is, however, still the leading theory of trolls who apparently want, went to medical school at uh, Google University. NAFA, though, then known as the National Association to Aid Fat Americans, published a newsletter for July and August of 1964. Actually, editing Ash here, uh, that NAFA newsletter was July and August 1974, not 64. And in it, while memorializing Mama Cass, they quoted Dr. George Merman, a heart specialist at Vanderbilt University, who denounced the due to obesity part of the report, saying that it stated an old-fashioned Victorian concept. He said that, the conclusion was improper and that to know whether obesity was a contributing factor, we would have to know something about Miss Elliot's cholesterol level, cholesterol level and whether she was hypertensive. He also stated that there is no evidence that obesity in itself is responsible for a coronary heart attack. It's too bad that Dr. Mann's statements did not receive, receive wider circulation. What is most likely to be true is that Cass Elliot's incredibly dangerous starvation dieting and weight cycling and drug use that was, again, likely at least in part undertaken as a weight loss attempt, weakened her heart considerably. So what conclusion can we draw here except that anti-fatness, both from others and from Cass herself, likely cost her her life? And unfortunately, it is that same anti-fatness that has allowed this ridiculous ham sandwich urban legend about uh, her choking being the cause of her death to thrive. Even many fat people don't know that this isn't true because that rumor is so pervasive. And that's because of the implicit fat phobia of a doctor who saw a fat person soon after her death and assumed that her eating must have killed her. Despite the fact that she hadn't eaten at all. And it would have taken very little for him to notice that there was not a bite out of her out of that sandwich. So, yeah, that is the story of Cass Elliot. It was very sad and tragic. Um, she was one of the first icons of fat activism. And in fact, one of NAFA's earliest actions was to protest the media coverage of Cass's death. Uh, while Cass Elliot was clearly desperate to be thin, she still managed to encourage fat people to live full lives, though. In an interview for the book Fat Can Be Beautiful that was released the same year as her death, Cass said, quote, for too long, we've been taught to think that people who are fat can't cope, that fatty tissues are an admission of neurosis. That's nuts. Some women were made fat and some were made thin, and there's no reason why fat women should take the back seat 
and leave the thriving to the skinnies. Thank you to Starcrusher for the music you heard on today's show. Go to cstarcrusher.bandcamp.com to hear more. Thanks also to our sponsor, Big Fig Mattress. Go to bigfigmattress.com and use the code FATLIP at checkout for $100 off of your purchase and to let them know that I sent you. Thank you also to our Patreon patrons. The patron of the day is Jody. Thank you so much, Jody, for your support. If you would like to support the show for as little as $1 an episode or $2 a month, go to patreon.com slash thefatlip to learn how. Don't forget to follow me on social media. I'm most active on Instagram, but all of my social media links can be found at the top of thefatlip.com. And while you're there at thefatlip.com, be sure to check out my 27 sturdy chairs for fat people blog post and grab some sturdy seating for your guests this holiday season. Make your home comfortable for your fattest friends. And okay, that's all I have for you today. I have one more episode coming before the end of the year, so I'm going to see you again soon. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.